praise God. We're going to uh, get into a message this morning. Uh, I've simply titled it what our theme is, Advent. It's the Advent of Love. The Advent of Love. Isaiah 7 and 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself, say himself, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. That in the moment of time, of fullness, when that moment came, God sent forth his son, the Bible says. When the fullness of time had come, what does the fullness mean there? When the moment came where the old and the new would be fulfilled in Christ, the law that he came to fulfill, it would be fulfilled and he would begin a new covenant. He would start a new covenant with mankind. We can go back and we can read the stories. We know that, uh, you know, that Adam and Eve, they fell in the garden. And what does God do? God's the one that when they were clothed with his glory, they were, they were naked, if you will, but they wouldn't even realize they were naked. They had no shame about them. And in that moment that they sinned and they fell, blood was shed and God clothed them with animal skins because they were no longer clothed in the glory of God. And it all moves forward and you've got Noah's time where mankind is so depraved and they've fallen away from God so much so that God has to start all over with Noah and his family. He, he makes a, a new covenant with man. God has always been about making that new covenant with man. But in Christ, he made a covenant that answered once and for all. It was a covenant of love. It was a covenant of grace. It would no longer be by your works. It wouldn't be that you can keep the law. It's not by your merit, but it would be by the merit of Christ. It would be the, by the work of Christ that mankind would have access to his heavenly father or her heavenly father. Bring me more water. I apologize. I'm so dry, raspy. <coughs> if you will, Jesus was in search as the body of Christ is called his bride. He was in search of that bride. God with us, Emmanuel, Jesus Christ, born, wrapped in swaddling clothes, laid in a manger to grow up and be a sacrifice for the bride he loves. Amen. I read a story by a famous uh, Danish philosopher from the mid-1800s, a Christian theologian named Soren, <coughs> excuse me, Kierkegaard. It is a familiar story, a story rewritten by many over time, if you will, in many different uh, versions, but this one goes like this. A prince wanted to find a maiden suitable to be his queen. One day, while running an errand in the local village for his father, he passed through a poor section. As he glanced out the windows of the carriage, his eyes fell upon a beautiful peasant maiden. During the ensuing days, he often passed by the young lady and soon fell in love but he had a problem how would he seek her hand he could order to her to marry him but even a prince wants his bride to marry him freely and voluntarily and not through coercion he could put on his most splendid uniform and drive up in front of her door in a carriage drawn by six horses but if he did this he would never be certain that the maiden loved him or was simply overwhelmed with all the splendor the prince came up with another solution. He would give up his kingly robe. 
he moved into the village, entering not with a crown, but in the garb of a peasant. He lived among the people, shared their interests and concerns, and talked their language. In time, the maiden grew to love him because of who he was and because he loved her first. This is very simple, if you will. It's, it's that childlike faith that we all need to come to. And in this, we see a, a simple story that displays what the love of Christ is for each of us. We as the church are the ones in need. We are the, if you will, the peasants that need to be rec- rescued. And we as Americans, I don't think we like to be called peasants. Agreed? Amen? We broke away from England because that's kind of how it was, right? But God's uh, authority and his government, it is a kingdom, is it not? It's not a democracy, it's a kingdom. He reigns on high. There is an element of seeing that we are the ones in need. And he's not a king that lords it over, even though he can. He is a king that loves over us. He loves to love us. Amen. So today we focus on an advent of love. First John 4, 16, uh, the first part of that verse says this, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. We have known and believed the love that God has for us. See, we don't always experience love the way we want to, but the love that God gives us through Jesus Christ is more trustworthy than any other love we'll ever encounter. You can trust his love in your life. People will fail you. You ever been failed by somebody? I have. You know, I've probably failed some of you in this room to follow through with things that I want to, but fall short because of, you know, being a man that falls short. You've probably fallen short concerning your bride. You've probably fallen short concerning your husband. Come on, saints. Kids, you've probably fallen short concerning your parents, and parents, you've probably fallen short concerning your kids. Come on now. But it's Christmas, Pastor. Can you just preach a nice, pleasant message that we don't have to? (laughs) You're supposed to wrap it up in a nice little package and hand it to us, and we leave here today happy. Uh, You'll leave happier when you know that you are in the love of Christ. Amen. And the way you know that you're in the love of Christ is to recognize first and foremost That you need a savior. See his love only works. As a result of recognizing that you need him. That he first loved you. This isn't something you. You are capable of creating with him. It's something he did for you. I love what Tochi said. We serve a God. It's different than any other religion on the planet. Every other religion says you got to search after. And you got to do all these things. To get a hold of him. And the reality is. It's God who gets a hold of you. And because he gets a hold of you. Then you want to serve him. It's a very different thing. You serve him and you'll gain that place. No, you let him love you. And what will happen is that love, if I could say it this way, will infect you. And you just can't help but act like your savior. Amen. Just a disclaimer. Vanessa flew in last night at 10 o'clock, and <coughs> Jeremiah Daniel flew in at uh, like 12. I think we got out of there at 12.30, and it was late night. I can say that much. So I don't, somehow my voice is really messed up here. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> I 
because of Advent love, we're given a few things uh, that we can live by. Again, it's Him working in us more than it's our efforts. Therefore, because of Advent love, we have a motive for love. A motive for love. We have an assurance of love. And we have many acts of love. First, we have a motive for love. 1 John 4, 6 through 19 says this. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Not necessarily the scripture we read, read for Christmas time. We go back and read the Christmas story. But this is a, 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 a scripture that is saying that he was sent as Savior of the world. And we know that a king was born, but when he was born, he was born Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. There's that passage again. The love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There's that part, as he is, as he lives in us, as his love is in us, we can't help but be like him in this world. And when we are like him, we're displaying his love, and that display of love becomes an invitation for others. I've been reading a book on discipleship, and as we come into the new year, and I, and I share vision on the 27th uh, of, of January, next week, when I share that, that as we go into the new year, you know, we really need to be in the church a people that are all about discipleship. The vision of Gateway has, has always, as long as I've been here, it's been to love God, love others, and make disciples. Well, what's that making disciples all about? It's teaching people to love God and love others. As he is, so are we in this world. He is love, and we can't help but display his love for others to see. And as a result of that, they too want to come and be a disciple. They want to learn the way of love. Because I don't know about you, anger, hate, shame, unforgiveness, all those things, they wear a person out. Anybody ever been there? You just wake up saying, man, I can't live like this anymore. You've got to open your heart. And let love come in. <clears throat> there is no fear in love. Verse 18, there's no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. That he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. I think if we could get that principle, just that one principle in our life to where um, when we think about our Christian uh, faith, we think about the walk we have with Christ, we think about the relationship we have with God, that oftentimes, and, and it's admitted, we're raised, you need to do this, this is the right thing, don't do that, do this, come on now, right? We're all raised that way. At work, when you, when you uh, go into a job, they tell you what you need to do. Right. And they make it clear what you shouldn't do. Correct. Uh, we're taught those things and in, in, in not that they shouldn't exist with regard to life, but they shouldn't exist with regard to salvation. They shouldn't exist with regard to our relationship to God. 
You know, there was a story of a man, his son uh, continued to fail one time after the other, after the other, after the other. And one day one of his friends said, you know, if I was you, I would forget that boy. And the father looked at his friend and he said to him, he said, if he was your son, I would forget him. Come on now. That's how God feels towards us. See, other people might be like, I just can't put up with you anymore. But God contends with you. God is searching out. and He's trying to get a hold of your heart and draw you near to him. And he won't quit on you. Amen. We love him because he first loved us. We have a motive, a motive for love. Is we love him because he first loved us. Amen. Second thing, we have an assurance of love. Uh, you know, everybody knows this passage, but it is, it is a passage that can't be replaced by any other. It's one of the best passages in the Bible. Oftentimes it's quoted with just the one verse, John 3, 16, but you've got to add 17 in there. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. John 3.16 is awesome, but without verse 17, it's hard to really understand. You know, it's God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But you've got to understand the other part of that. He didn't send his son to condemn you. He sent his son to save you. He sent his son to save the whole world. And that's why the gospel has to be preached in such a way that people understand it's an invitation. It's not a list of what you've got to do. It's a list of what he did for you. And when we understand that, that invitation is pretty enticing. Amen. I didn't say it's easy. I said it's enticing. We want to come. We want to live that. We want to carry out those, uh, if you will, commands of Christ. But the reality is we need to yield to him so that he can live them out in us. See, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet it's not I, but it's Christ that lives in me. Number three, uh, we have many acts of love. This one here, the acts of love that we see in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. It says, love suffers long in its kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Now we know how many of you at your wedding that scripture was read. Mine was. Hold your hands high. Look around. Quite a few folks had that scripture read at their wedding. And, and the reason why is it's, it's a great scripture to follow if you're married, right? It's, it's one of those uh, scriptures that when uh, things aren't going well, uh, it gives you some good insight on how you can respond. It's an act, in other words. Uh, I know when Angie and I started off, uh, love was quite the feeling. Come on now. It felt good. It was exciting, uh, you know, and then... All of a sudden, Angie realized, you know, that I wasn't everything that I was cracked up to be, if you will. I wasn't everything I may have portrayed myself to be. How many of you put your best foot forward in the relationship when you're going into it? 
Come on. Hey, Pastor, just get out of my marriage right now. I want to have a fun Christmas, right? You put your best foot forward, right? All those things that, you know, you would never do around them when you first meet and you're courting one another and you're coming into that relationship and it's kind of like, you know, you dismiss yourself from the room for, you know, certain functions of the body. You're like, you know, I don't do that. I know that may seem a little, you know, gross, but point being is you put your best foot forward. And I'll just say it this way. In reality, all of us are a stinker once in a while, aren't we? Come on. I'm trying to make it stick for you. You're a stinker. Every one of you in here are a stinker once in a while. I'm a stinker once in a while. And as sweet as Angie can seem, you saw the black eye that one time, you know? <laughs> when I went snowboarding and I blamed it on Angie. I just wanted you to know she's not as sweet sometimes as you would think she is, you know, first encounter. We all have moments, don't we? And in those moments, let me tell you, it's the power of the love of Christ. It's in those moments. All it takes is an invitation. I'm just going to go ahead and say, you can't do it. I know I can't do it. And in those moments, those are the moments where we cry out. It's like, Jesus, help me. It's a simple, help me. Help me to be who you've called me. Help me to be the person. Help me to be the husband. Help me to be the friend. Help me to be the father. Jesus, help me because I can't do this on my own. I can't live this life of agape love, unconditional love. I don't have unconditional love for people, but Christ in me can move me to act in unconditional love towards folks. See, when somebody wrongs me, I kind of want them to do something to make up for it. Nobody else in here feels that way, right? I want them to make up for it. Christ doesn't work that way, amen? That's why it says it keeps no records of wrongs. So here's what I want to do. Let me read this passage to you again. And I want to kind of pop through those acts of love. These aren't feelings of love, by the way. They're acts of love. And God's uh, son coming, when he came, when God came, Emmanuel, it was an act of love. We know when Jesus wrestles in the Garden of Gethsemane, the feeling wasn't there, right? If there was a feeling, God, if this cup can pass from me, let it pass because I don't want to do this. And that's what made it an act of love. It was sacrificial, see? It was agape. So love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Love is not puffed up, uh, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, re uh, but rejoices in truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never. Oh, pretty good. Let's do that one more time. Love never. That's awesome. One, love suffers long. John Wesley's father asked his wife once. You, anybody knew who John Wesley was? John Wesley, uh, the, uh, the uh, Methodist church all across the United States, revival broke out. John Wesley led that movement as, as a uh, minister of the gospel. Only one county, one county in all of the United States did not have a Methodist church. The rest of the United States was affected by that man's ministry. And this, but when he was a kid, um, you know, he just didn't quite have it together. John Wesley's father asked his wife once, how can you have the patience to tell that blockhead to do the same thing 20 times over? She replied, if I should have told him 19 times, 
I will have lost all my labor. If you ever wonder why God contends with you, you ever have that feeling like, God, just leave me alone. I'm just, you know, I'm not good enough and I, I'm just going to do my own thing. And God keeps contending. He keeps, he like gets in your way and you're like, there he is again. He gets in your way through a friend. He gets in your way through a family member. He gets in your way with the pastor when he preaches a message and you like, don't preach that message. Just send me home with a blessing and I'm good to go. And you got to get in there and you got to challenge me. Why? Because Jesus was always doing two things. Are you okay if I preach a little bit? He was always doing two things in the lives of those that followed him. Inviting them and challenging them. Inviting them and challenging them. Come with me. You think of Peter. Peter's probably one of my favorite in the Bible simply from the standpoint that I'm a lot like him. I'm bullheaded. Come on now. Some <laughs> thanks, Warren. Come stand beside me, and we'll show him two pictures of bullheadedness. Right? <laughs> Inviting and challenging. Peter said. Jesus turns to Peter and he says, "Who do men say?" He invites Peter. Who do men say that I am? He's, he's inviting him to to interact. Like, who do men say that I am? He said, "Well, some say you're Elias. You know, Elias, uh, uh, Isaiah, uh, or excuse me, Elijah." Elias, they called him, but it's Elijah because he was caught up and he, you know, well, then he comes back from, you know, the dead or whatever. And he says, some say John the Baptist come back from the dead. That you're that good of a preacher that you're like, you know, Elijah or you're like John the Baptist. And well, who do you say I am, Peter? Another invitation. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my father, excuse me, which is in heaven. Yeah. Peter's like, man, okay, I got this thing figured out. He gets to walking with Jesus, and literally in that same area of Scripture, you read a little bit further, and all of a sudden Jesus starts talking about he's going to go to the cross, and he's going to die for the sins of mankind. And Peter's like, oh, no, you're not going to the cross. Jesus, you, you know what? You're not going to go to the cross. This isn't going to happen. Jesus wheels around, and he's like, get away from me. You're not mindful of the things of God. Peter's like, Okay, so I'm blessed, and, and God's revealed this to me. Now, all of a sudden, I'm not mindful of the things of God. Which one is it? Uh, you're invited and you're challenged. And you start to think you've got it all figured out. See, that's called pride. And pride is what gets us in trouble. Yeah. I'm glad God doesn't give up on us. I'm glad that Jesus is even so much better than John Wesley's mom. Because I think I've probably messed up with Jesus a whole lot more than 19 times. Anybody else in here? Da Vinci was painting The Last Supper, and he was chided for standing hours in front of the painting without making a single brushstroke. Not one brushstroke, hours just looking at the painting. And you, you could imagine, you could see him step in and start and pull back. And then, you know, maybe, well, no, right? He was making a masterpiece. You ever feel like God isn't working on you as fast as you want him to? You need to understand every single one of us are a masterpiece of God. He didn't send a cheap gift. Let me say it this way. He sent a master. Is Jesus your master today? He sent a master to make you a masterpiece. And the way he did that was he allowed the master to come and be just like you.
suffer every temptation, feel every temptation, be subjected to rejection, be subjected to all the feelings that we, we feel, yet without sin. So the master is working on you. And it may not be taking place in the timing you would like it to be, but I promise you when he's done with you, he will have fulfilled what he promised. He who has begun a good work in you will perform that work until the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Until the day he returned, the second advent, the second coming. Until that day, he's going to work on you. And there may be times where you feel like it's in such a, a, a stance of pause. Now listen to what da Vinci said. He explained, when I pause the longest, I make the most telling strokes with my brush. Pause with people because God does it for you. It's kind. It looks for something constructive. You think of Jesus with the woman at the well, right? He's, he, he comes up. He sits down. He's actually tired, and he's hungry. He sends the disciples off to get some food. And he's sitting at the well, and the woman comes at the well, and she comes at an hour when the other women do not come at the well. And he's sitting there, and what he does, now watch, Jesus always does what? He invites we're going to hear more about this on the 27th. We're going to definitely be hearing it in the coming year. But he invites and he challenges. That's what discipleship is. And he sits there with the woman at the well, who basically is a prostitute. She, you know, he gets to that point where he says, you've had five husbands and the one you're with now is not your husband. And that's the moment where the, you know, it's like, oh, oh I perceive you're a prophet. Now, here's the thing about it, though. He didn't start with that. He started with, give me a drink. I was reading that scripture and I started to notice something. How often the church says that a person can't serve, or they can't be involved in a church until they're all cleaned up and they've got everything together. Do you know Jesus added value to that woman's life? In that very moment, he added value. This is the Savior, King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He says to that woman, give me a drink. He's asking not only a woman, but a Samaritan woman. He deal, he's dealing with racism, racism, bigotry, chauvinism, sin. He's dealing with all the things that set mankind back over and over where love is concerned. <laughs> Sorry, I get weepy about that stuff. But I want you to know there are people in our community and they're hurting. I'm out and about enough to see the lives of people that are just broken and shattered. And we have a message of hope. We have a message of peace. We have a message of joy and love. And it all comes wrapped up in the glory, the light of Jesus Christ. Will we share it with them so that they can be a masterpiece as well? It's interesting that it didn't take long for that woman to become a masterpiece, did it? He continues to share with her. He says all those things. And you know, he didn't condemn her. They started talking about worship and what it really looks like to worship God. There was this idea, you know, our fathers say that we have to worship on the mountains. There's that idea. Uh, but the Jews say we have to worship in the temple. And Jesus just says simply, I tell you the truth, there's a time coming. Saints, we live in that time. There is a time coming where the true worshipers 
will worship God in truth and in spirit. And at the end of that conversation with Jesus, she runs and begins to tell the whole, what does she do? She begins to go to other broken lives. And she begins to declare to them, <laughs> come meet a man that's told me all about my life. Come meet the one that knows me better than I know myself. Right? You with me here? That's who you have in Christ. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows where you're hurting. He knows where you're lonely. And he wants to fill that void. Amen? Okay, I'm going to try to clip along here. So it's kind. It does not envy. <laughs> it does not envy. There's a story uh, with fishermen that goes like this. Uh, you know, the top of a, a, a crab trap doesn't have a, uh, it's not closed, it's open. Anybody ever seen one? They don't have to have one. The reason why is if one crab's crawling up, the others are happy to pull it down. That's what envy looks like. Celebrate with people when God does something wonderful in their life. Don't pull them down. Lift them up. Encourage them. <coughs> it does not parade itself. If you will, arrogance always eludes love. Uh, and a stance of arrogance will always, always uh, repel an attitude of love. It's not puffed up. Pride has no place because this love is not earned. Paul the Apostle said it, you know. If I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in Christ. We have no place to boast. All of us have received salvation the same way. One person said it this way. I don't remember who it was, but he said that the gospel is uh, one beggar giving another beggar a piece of bread. We're just sharing a message that's honestly what we all need. Amen. It does not behave rudely. Uh, if, if you will, um, there was a guy who, who was on a train in San Francisco, I believe it was, or a, like a trolley, and he was on that, and he was impressed by the, the conductor or the, the, the gentleman who oversaw the train. He was impressed by the way he treated people, and that he was so courteous and so loving towards people, and he said, I'm just really impressed with how nice and kind you are to people. And he said, well, uh, I had somebody share with me one time that they, they inherited a million dollars, and in the inheritance it simply said, you were kind to me one time. And I thought to myself, man, you know, well, if I'm mean to people, I'm certainly never going to run the chance of inheriting a million dollars, so why not give it a try? And he said, now I don't even care if I ever inherit a million dollars because I'm more fulfilled that I'm kind to people. I'm blessed more by being kind to people than being mean to them. It does not seek its own, and it's not provoked. Uh, Self-control, if you will, is not easy, but it understand uh, it is um, important to understand. Self-control is something that we are capable of doing. It requires that we understand ourselves. Do you know your hot button? Raise your hand if you know your hot button. Do you know the people near you's hot button? Do you know what sets them off? Do you like pushing it? Raise your hand if you're an antagonist. <laughs> I know Angie's hot button. She knows my hot button. And every once in a while we push it. Sometimes we push it on purpose. Oh, man. My pastors, they're like vengeful? Oh, we can be. Not very often. Angie and I fight with a lot of love, but we do fight. 
I know her hot button. She knows my hot button. No. If words of affirmation for Angie is her love language, if I don't affirm her, then, you know, man, it, it'll, it'll set her off. Uh, for me, it's, uh, if you will, the, the physical touch, quality time are those things that, you know, and if I feel pushed away, disrespected, you know, bang, zoom, that's the, you know, anybody ever watch The Honeymooners? Ralph Cramden, that's kind of our, you know, when I get upset at Angie, I just walk the other way, bang, zoom, you know. Now, she'll laugh because she knows I don't, I don't mean that, and the whole point is, is like, you know, I have to have some time, vice versa. We create safe words in our communication. Say, Pastor, that one doesn't, doesn't sound very safe. Oh, well, yeah, it's very safe. It's bang, zoom, I don't want to be around you right now because I don't ever want to go there. You hearing me? Now, I know there's some people in here that need to hear this today. You got you to gotta know the hot buttons. You got to know yours. You got to know the people around you, vice versa. And when you do, guess what you're able to do? You're able to serve one another. You're able to act in love towards one another, even in those hard moments. It thinks no evil. I don't know that that one needs a lot of explaining. You know, it's kind of like this. Somebody upsets you. You're not sitting at home, you know, with your 45, stroking it and cleaning it and thinking, oh, yeah, I'm going to end their life. No. Hear me? <laughs> that's, that's the extreme one. But it doesn't think of how you can get back at people. It doesn't think how you can hurt their life or, or, or bring harm to them. It rejoices in tr- or does not rejoice in iniquity. It doesn't celebrate sin. It doesn't, oh, yeah, let's, you know, sin is fun. It's, you know, let's go do this. Let's, let's be all about that. It doesn't rejoice in iniquity. It rejoices in truth. Jesus said you don't know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It bears all things and believes all things, hopes all things. When I look at those, there are burdens that we bear for one another. You need to believe that Christ's work is big enough for any situation you face and that if you don't have that hope, then you'll never experience the fullness of what is offered. Love never fails. Or excuse me, and endures all things. Love never fails. When everything comes to an end, only love will remain. Listen to this, and if you have a pen, write it down. When everything comes to an end, the end of this age, when, when Christ returns, the second advent, when he comes again, only love will remain. God is eternal. He gives us eternal life through his son. And since God is love, 